Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the 21 Gun Podcast. I'm actually recording this on Easter morning, so if there's chaos in the background, that's just because I have two completely sugared up children. Tonight's episode is actually from a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you want to check out the full unedited episode, head over to the 21 Gun Facebook page. You can head over to the Irreverent Warriors Facebook page, or you could head over just to 21 Gun, spell it out, 21gun.com. Net. Daniel Fahey is the founder and owner of Gritty Soldier Fitness. From his website, Dan truly found his passion for fitness after he suffered catastrophic wounds from combat in 2013. Although the event saw him return from the deployment early, he dedicated himself to a speedy recovery and return to active duty. Since then, he has completed numerous military schools, including the Army Ranger, Airborne, Air Assault, and Pathfinder schools. He also completed the Best Ranger competition in 2019. Marathon and ultra running became his newfound passion, driving additional knowledge and endurance and how to sustain the body for long-distant events and challenges. Serving as an infantry platoon leader, he founded Gritty Soldier Fitness in 2020 in an effort to spread his knowledge of fitness and training and to motivate other service members to reach their aspirations and achieve their goals. Uh, Dan is actually local, so I'm hoping to to, uh, see him down in the Fayetteville area uh, at one of the many events that we have down there. So uh, great interview, cool guy. Uh, I think you'll enjoy the show. So without further ado, Daniel Fahey. Speaking of Army Rangers, let's bring up Dan Fahey. Dan, I keep wanting to say Dusty because I flew with a Dusty Fahey, and it's like, God damn it, my brain, it's, if it's if something gets stuck in there, it's very, very difficult for me to get it out of there. So uh, if I call you Dusty, my bad. Try, try to say Dan. That's okay. I'll correct you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as you know, I don't know if you know much about the Irreverent Warriors, but we focus on mental health. We bring people out of isolation. We use lots of humor. We try to make each other laugh. And if you notice from that last interview, uh, we try to bust balls. I wonder how many people freaking hate me because I do that. It's I'm joking. I'm jo- from New England. We get it. We, we do that to each other. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and it works. Uh, what we do works. So, um, I want to get your take on these group activities coming together because I know uh, your business is kind of focused on this uh, coming together, suffering a little bit um, and, and what that effect has on mental health for the individual. And, and I guess also for the group. Well, so my take on group activity, especially when you're, you know, getting together as a group and embracing the suck together, then you're building a bond uh, immediately. And you're going through, if it's depending on the difficulty level of that challenge is going to, depend or is going to create that bond even tighter. So the harder the challenge is, the more uh, tight that bond's going to be in the end. Plus it just, it feels so good. Like if you do something hard, like really hard uh, at the end of the day, like if you're having a beer uh, sitting back and just, you know, shooting the shit, it, you, you almost have, at least with me, there's like this, I don't even know. It's like a warm, fuzzy feeling. And you're like, Oh God, what a great day. Even if it's like building a, building a porch or, you know, uh, doing a, a go ruck or something like that, man, it just feels so good yeah. at the end of the day. And, and obviously that, you know, your body's releasing endorphin, releasing, releasing endorphins. <laughs> and that, that is obviously a, uh, a benefit for, for mental health. Uh, 
So speaking of suffering, you're an ultra marathon runner. Is that what I understand? Yeah. Uh, well, I've done a few ultra marathons. Sure. I've done a few. <laughs> I've done. Dude, I'm so fascinated by that because you know, like I, I was talking at the beginning, I can wrap my head around certain things, right? I can wrap my head around even those psychopaths that do free diving and shit like that. Like I'm like, okay, I, I get that. But ultra marathon, like it, how much of that is training and how much is that just the fact that your body just knows how to do that? Like you, you can do that. Okay. I don't, I don't think, uh, anybody is just born with the ability to do uh, something like that. Uh, definitely a lot of training involved. Um, definitely a lot of endurance training. You know, it takes a lot of time to build up the bone density, things like that. Um, but honestly, the reason why I like to do ultra marathon running or anything endurance wise is really just because I think it, it puts a lot of, uh, it, it builds your mental capacity in a way that makes you a stronger person as a whole. So it's more of a mental challenge than it is a, a physical challenge. Not that I'm saying you can just go out there and do an ultra marathon without training up. That's not the case, but yeah. When you go out there and actually put yourself to the test, it's not it's not the physical aspect that gets you. It's the mental. It's the mental game. Yeah, I can understand that. And they say that's a lot. I mean, you went through ranger school, and I, and I guess that's a lot of it too, right? If you have any doubt in your mind, the instructors in the cadre are going to find that doubt, and they're going to break you with it. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, talking about ranger school, as absolutely a, a marathon of training, um, and it's mostly mental. It's it's physical in the fact that you're going to be hurting the entire time you're there. Um, it's also something you got to train up for to be successful at, but the real challenge of ranger school is, is the mental aspect. It's, it's not so much the, uh, it's not so much the physical cause it's just, you're just hurting the entire time you're there. There's never a time where you're comfortable, you know? So it's a marathon on the mind just to push, yeah. push another day and get through another day. day, by right. day. I love that, that, that never quit attitude. Um, the, the seals talk about that a lot, the PJs and stuff. It's the idea that, I would rather die at the bottom of the pool than quit. And those, those are the guys that, that I guess are going to make it because you can't, how, how do you break someone like that? And that's who you want too. If you're, you know, out on patrol and you know, half your unit gets injured or killed and now you have to fight or die, right? What are you going to do? Give up? Okay. Then you die. Are you going to fight? Okay. Then let's bring down as many people as you want. I don't know. It's yeah, just right. a, it's a, it's a mindset that, well, let's go to that. Do you, is that a mindset that you can train into someone or is that like an innate thing that someone's just born with? I'm just born with this idea that, uh, take firefighters, for example, I'll run into a burning building and not think about catching on fire. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I think training that mindset is absolutely possible. I think it's harder. This is just my take on it. Yeah, yeah, um, so I've, I've been fortunate enough to be, forced into positions where I had to have either have that mindset or, or literally die, you know? So luckily I decided to have the mindset and didn't die. So I've learned, I've learned from those, <laughs> those experiences and took what I could from it. And I think it's just made me personally stronger and more capable to deal with those sorts of situations. But I, I absolutely think that it's uh, a trainable uh, thing to, to put into somebody. It's just going to be a little more difficult because you have to make that conscious decision to, to go past what your body would allow you to do, or at least what you think your body would allow you to do yeah, or your mind for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Your mind will, will mess with you a lot. I think in, in my head, I don't, I don't know if I could put a percentage. I think there are individuals just for the fact that the, the human condition, right? Humans have been evolving for 200,000 years and we evolved to have um, a group of people that nurture and a group of people that 
that battle. That's how we stayed alive. And there's a genetic drive in a lot of people. And males or females, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's a sex-related thing. I mean, it can be, but I, I still think there is that, that warrior drive uh, that's inside of us, that's born inside of us. That I mean, it, it's look at my family. We've been firefighters since, uh, gosh, I want to say 1901 or 1902. No, no, no. 1911, it doesn't matter, uh, all the way back to the early aughts of the uh, 1900s, um, all the way up till myself, and I hope my son does it someday. And, and there was no, like, you're going to be a firefighter. It was just like, I'm not going to sit here and be bored. I can't be a guy that sits at a desk and twiddles my thumbs and plays with money. I, I need to, to fight. Like, if I don't fight, if I don't have that, that uh, dragon to slay, then I think as a person, I'm going to become neurotic and useless. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, I totally agree with that, uh, that way of thinking. I think, I think it's in human nature to, to want to find a way to challenge yourself. I mean, I think it's the only reason why we evolve as, as, a, as, as people and, and keep continuing up uh, the chain of advancement and technology and everything as far as you want to go. But I think we constantly like to challenge ourselves and see how far we can push ourselves. And, uh, and we feel good about it when we actually meet those accomplishments, you know. Sure. Um, sorry if I keep jumping back on this, but it, I, like I said, it amazes me. So like uh, you had mentioned bone density and, and things like that. Is, is this stuff that you discover like at mile 30 where you're like, you, you think you go, okay, uh, I'll, I'll fuel my body. I'll do this. I'll train for that. And then after, like I said, like 28, 29, 30 miles, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I wasn't prepared for this to start kicking in or for that to start kicking in. So like, I, I guess physiologically, um, what are the things that you have to prepare for before you run past 26 miles? And I would assume before you run 26 miles for that matter. Uh, so bone density being one of them, that's the one thing that you have to train for. Otherwise you're just going to end up with shin splints, you know, after the first half marathon of running, if you're not an experienced runner, yeah. um, that's, a, that's something you have to train for, for, you know, probably a minimum of at least a year, maybe even two to three years to be starting to get into ultra marathoning without getting shin splints right off the bat. That's, that's just a fact, but yeah. As you're um, going into, you got to think like the average person probably burns about 100 to 150 calories per mile of running. And that's on a flat surface. And that's just like your, you know, I, I want to use the term comfortable pace of running. So that's mm -hmm. how many calories you could be burning if you're running up to 50 to 100 miles, you know, times upwards to 150. I'm like 150 calorie kind of guy because I'm, I'm pretty big and tall. But um, so that's the kind of calories that you would have to put into yourself Um upwards to an hour prior to your body actually needing those calories before you actually have to perform the action. So yeah. for every mile that you run, you had to fuel your body an hour prior with 150 calories. So when you go out there, so that adds up really quick. So you're, you're, you have to train for that. And you also have to train uh, to under, to allow you, like when you're training for ultra marathon running um, and when you actually go out on marathon day, you're not just having like a big pasta dinner the, the night before and saying, okay, I'm going to run for a hundred miles. Now you have to actually come up with a plan, uh, a feeding plan, um, a drop bag plan, why you're doing these ultra marathons so that you can actually fuel yourself in time so that when your body needs it, it has it. Otherwise you'll cramp up, you'll dehydrate yourself and you just won't make it. Yeah. I imagine just diet and, and like you said, rehydration, making sure you're getting salts and stuff. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a huge percentage of it. Do you feel yourself on glucose um, or, or do you do any uh, ketogenic uh, running, getting your body into the burning fat stage or how about that? Uh, so uh, with ultra marathons, I stick to a lot of it is gels and protein bars is okay. what I 
particularly like um, the gels because I uh, I'll actually eat them like while I'm running. Yeah, and it's just easier to get down, and they're kind of like instant. Uh, carbohydrates for your body and instant sugars and then the proteins because when you're running that far your body starts to break down proteins that happens in ranger school too that's why uh <clears throat> guys will come down they're, they're just a lot smaller because they've lost all that muscle mass just for the fact that they're not eating enough and they're before they're burning more calories than they're taking in so yeah. they're just not sustaining and that's happening during an ultra marathon too like you can't be a bodybuilder and, and go out there and run 50 miles and yeah. expect to keep any of that you know most but, um yeah, most of your proteins have a, a sugar backbone, right? So people don't realize that uh, you eat a lot of protein, it's actually going to boost up your glucose because your body knows how to break that down and grab those glucose backbones and, and uh, put them in the Krebs cycle. Shut up, Kevin. We're going to get that deep into it. But, um, nerd. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big nerd about that. So I rode my bike across uh, the continental U.S. and we had some days that were like 120 miles. And unfortunately, it was before I was in medicine and I didn't. I didn't understand the physiology of it. So there were days where I would bonk, right? I got to the point where I had a, a glucose uh, monitor. I would get down to like 49, right? I would shiver. I would feel like shit. And I was like eating gels, uh, just like one mile. And, just, and, and I had to do that the entire, just to get back to where I was going to be. And then, and I guess the, the, the reason why I'm going into this story is because, and I'm sure you get it all the time, people ask, Okay, well, what's your diet? What what should my diet be? What should I do to train for something like that? And there's really, there's, you have to experiment and figure out what works for you, because yeah. genetics are so intertwined nowadays that it's hard to say what's going to work for you. What ended up working for me was, um, I, I went paleo, and that kind of put me in a de facto ketogenic state, not on purpose, just kind of did, and and then all my bonking disappeared. Right. So then I was like, just out for fun, I'm like, I'm going to do a, um, what the hell they call it? An adventure race, like a Spartan race. And I'm going to do it fasted just to see what happens. See if I bonk or whatever, still drink fluids and salts and stuff like that. And I did it and I was fine. And I was like, oh, genetically I've dialed it in, but it takes some work. And man, that took me like 10 years to figure that stuff out. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't like to give too much advice on nutrition, which sounds silly because you know, I'm big into fitness and I do all these things that are based around uh, nutrition, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, I think it's all dependent on the individual person. I think there is no like magical plan out there. That's, that's a one size fit all, you know, it's, it really depends on like how you've been brought up, what your body reacts to. I'm sure there's a lot of genes in there. I don't, I don't like to pretend to know too much about nutrition uh, yeah. because I don't think, I think most people just don't, they just think they do. You know? Everyone, <laughs> everyone thinks they do, man. You go into Facebook and it's like, what you need to do is you need to yeah. first do this and need to, and it's like, I mean, Man, I do this for a living and I don't know what to tell people when they ask me. I'm like, I don't know. You got all sorts of genetics that are in there. I mean, there's your genetics, there's epigenetics, there's your surrounding, there's, uh, but surrounding meaning like physically what's around me and what can I, I mean, there, there's so many factors at play and it takes, it takes work to get to it. You got to put the work in and you can't just assume that this is going to work or that's going to work. And, and you got to, yeah, you got to experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And be prepared to fail. Um, uh, we, so. Real Jeremy quick, said there's someone who asked a question. We got a uh, fellow Reverend Warrior in here. He says, Dan, you don't look like the skeletal ultra runner type, I imagine. I'm guessing it's a myth that ultra runners are practically Ethiopian build. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, first of all, I haven't done one in six months. So, I've been working very hard on building back some muscles. So, thank you for noticing that. That means I'm doing something right. <laughs> um, but, like I said, like, yeah, obviously, if you're out there ultra marathon running, um, you know, more than twice or three, even four times a year, then yeah, you're, it's going to be really hard for you to, uh, 
to pack on and keep that muscle. That's, I mean, yeah, you know, I've gained 10 pounds back in the last six months, uh, just from hitting the gym enough, you know, and working on calisthenics than I, than I have been, uh, uh, sorry, there's my wife, <laughs> but then I have been running, <laughs> running for a really long time. So, yes. Yeah, she's like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to in there? What the hell? <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you noticing that I, I got, you know, a little bit on there. I've been working hard no for gains, it. So. Huh? What's, what's <laughs> funny is, uh, when I came back from yeah, the, gotta get the, them gains, when, when I came back from the, the, uh, bike trip, I remember going into my bathroom and, uh, I'm looking at myself without my shirt on and I looked like, I looked like, like former me if I was made out of wax and I was left in the sun for too long. Oh, no. Like my, my upper body had never been, my shoulders had never been so skinny and my legs were like, uh, uh, Kim Kardashian's oh, ass. No. I mean, my, I remember I put on a pair of blue jeans for the first time, in like three months, I could barely get them on my legs. So I, I had these giant legs and just flabby upper body no body oh. strength whatsoever it was uh it was horrible oh no <laughs> gone like your beard yeah yeah oh we won't talk about that <laughs> um we didn't get into your military service at all and i find that fascinating so let's do that uh at, at what time in your life did you first you know consider military as an option did you hear me yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of oh, cutting okay. it. I got a, a storm going on here. So hopefully, uh, so I think you okay. asked about my military service. Yeah. Yeah. When did, when did uh, military service first pop up on your radar? Okay. So, uh, okay, here we go. So I was about 20 years, uh, years old. Um, wasn't really much of a success at anything besides like smoking pot and skipping school. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I wanted to do like a 180 in some way. And so one day I literally just went to the recruiting office. This was uh, during the beginning of <clears throat> the war on terrorism and all that. And uh, told them, hey, I just want to be, well, it was, it was a longer story than that because I actually tried to join, I think, the Air Force first. Anyway, I eventually found my way to the uh, Army recruiting station. Um, they were more than willing to take me and they even paid for my GRE and everything. Joined, uh, joined up as a Cav Scout, uh, went in with full intention of getting out after my first term. So I had a little money save up and be a civilian again. Um, but I didn't do that. Instead, I got married, uh, had four kids, um, ended up oh. staying in the army. T typical, like, uh, I, I would think like old school private move, you know, got married like two weeks in the army and all that. We're still married though. <laughs> happily married. I love my wife, you know, you but go. typical there move. You. Um, Camaro. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, all this stuff. Um, I was juggling like, so we, my wife was a stay at home mom cause we had so many kids. So <clears throat> I, I ended up like juggling the bills that I would have to default on so that I wouldn't like go into collection. It, we didn't have enough money to pay the bills. And that was like that for about three, three years, uh, four years. So and, and long story short, I had a deployment under my belt and I decided like, you know what, I think I'm just going to stay in the army so I can take care of the family. And I, I kind of like it, but I want to do something a little different. And that's when I decided to. Um, go into special operations. And at that time, um, I joined uh, PSYOP, so I became a PSYOP guy. And that's how I ended up in, in the uh, in third Ranger bat. I was, I was actually their TPT. So I handled like all the um, detainee questioning on target um, and pretty much gave advice on who the bad guy was when we were on objective so that the uh, ground force commander would uh, know who we needed to bring back for further questioning. So that's kind of how I ended up with third Ranger. 
Ranger bat. Um, after that, after a few years of that, um, I applied for green to gold, became an officer all through active duty. I, they, they sent me to, like, I went to school here at uh, Fayetteville, Fayetteville State for two additional years, and then uh, got a commission as an infantry officer. And at that time, I was 30 years old, and then went to Ibolic, went to Ranger School. Uh, oh, and I, I didn't even talk about it, but uh, so when I when I was with Third Bat, uh, during my first appointment with them, this is a big military milestone, I'm surprised I skipped this, but when I was with uh, Third Bat, uh, one of our missions that's that's when I got blown up. So it was during uh, one of our objectives. Uh, it was a nighttime raid, and um, I'll give the quick down and dirty of it, so I'm not t- taking too much time. But um, essentially, uh, the detainees that we were taking out of the compound had uh, suicide vests on, and they uh, detonated that as the, as uh, they were being escorted out of the compound that we were securing. Um, once that happened. They also activated a daisy chain IED belt that was all around the compound. So the entire platoon that was performing isolation was now walking around essentially like a minefield. Holy shit. And so there was, uh, after, at the end of the day or the end of the night, there was uh, like 15-ish IEDs, pressure plate IEDs that were activated because they were stepped on um, by everybody. Because what was happening was once that once that first uh, suicide vest went off, I was actually the closest to the breach, so I I ran up and tried to help those guys. I threw a couple tourniquets on a couple of them, <clears throat> and then um, as we were setting up like some security while we were waiting on medevac to come, and all the Chinooks were just coming back full circle. We we didn't even have like actual uh, medevac. I, I think somebody had a military or a, I don't know. Anyway, um, anyway, so I was dancing around a pressure plate like that whole time. When I turned around on a knee, that's when I got hit and it blew me back uh, like 50 meters. And it hit me so hard that it, you'd never know it now because I'm a pretty handsome dude now, but like um, <laughs> it took out like half, half my face was like mush, like uh, like almost like it felt like hamburger to the touch and I couldn't see anything and I couldn't hear anything. And um, uh-huh. it, it blew my equipment completely off. My, my nods were completely gone. Radio was blown up and I couldn't see and I was pretty mad about it. Um, but Long story short, uh, we were, we got evac uh, with a few other casualties. Went back. I got some emergency surgery on my left eye um, to get some shrapnel out of my eye, and uh, they they told me that I wasn't that they thought I'd at least be able to see, or they they thought I'd at least be able to keep my eye, but I would never be able to see out of it again. And at this time, I was completely blinded in both eyes still. Yeah. <clears throat> and as I made my way through Germany, um, on my way to Walter Reed to get like fixed up because i had I, I was like i was so fucked up i couldn't walk i'm sorry hopefully fuck is okay hopefully fuck's okay all right so <laughs> i got i got evac back to uh, walter reed still blind and not being able to walk straight couldn't walk backwards without falling down and they they told me like they didn't think i was going to be able to get my vision back but they're at least going to like kind of rehabilitate me so that i could walk still you know and then after about a it was actually really quick. So after like the first week, they said that they were going to perform some like new trials on my eyes and they had like these special drops and surgeries they were doing and all these tests. And <clears throat> maybe, you know, more about it with the medical field. Cause I don't really even know what was going on, but I was just seeing the eye doctor like three times a day. And after about three weeks, I started getting my vision back and it started out with just sort of being, you know, splotchy um, grays. And then, and now I'm at the end of the day, you know, maybe five months later after the whole thing, I, I see back to 2020 and that's with uh, PRK and all that. So 
Yeah. That was, that was kind of like, and I'm walking fine, obviously, and doing all that stuff. So I, I bounced back pretty good. About nine months after that, I uh, went back on another appointment because I knew that if I didn't do it again, I would be, I wouldn't be a very good soldier. So I wanted to go back, get it over with and rip the bandit off. And I was scared shitless. Even, even, yeah. even <laughs> flying into um, Bagram scared me. Cause I was like, Oh, you don't know, man, you could get shot down on the way down. I used to not even care be scared at all, but you know, so rip that off like a bandit. Anyway, I came back, uh, became an officer through uh, the green to gold program, went to uh, I Bullock, went to Ranger, uh, went and took a platoon over at Fort Bliss for a while. And now I'm back here at Fort Bragg going through the soft pipeline again. And I started nice. a gritty soldier when, uh, Corona hit and the whole thing, the whole reason that all started off was because uh, we weren't allowed to do PT at, uh, at uh, the cough anymore. So I just like started an Instagram page uh, so I could show my guys what they needed to be doing for PT. And then it just sort of took off from there. And now it nice. is what it is today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, a couple things that, that, you know, I, I, I can, I keep using this term, but I can wrap my head around, I guess, losing a, a leg, losing one eye. I, I think, easily one of the scariest things that anyone could go through is the idea of losing hearing or losing sight or losing both. I mean, that's yeah. shit that, you know, that's like nightmarish stuff. I mean, I, um, yeah. When oh, my dog just said he's going to try to bust in here. <laughs> Steve. My dog's name is Steve. He got my wife got him. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. I don't know what goes through your mind when you can't see and you can't hear. I mean, what, like, what do you do? So, uh, I still remember like vividly when it actually happened. Um, and I remember being on all fours just in the dirt and realizing and it was at night. So it took me like a second to realize I couldn't see, but realizing what had just Jeez. happened and that I got, you know, blown up and it, like a feeling my face and my eyebrow, you can't tell you guys, I got a scar there, but this piece was actually like hanging down a little bit. And I remember feeling that. And just thinking, holy shit, you know, I'm, I'm all messed up. My wife's not going to love me anymore. My kids are going to be scared of me and my army career is over. So I just punched yeah. the ground and I was pissed, you know, I was like mad more than anything. I wasn't even really scared. I was just pissed. And, uh, once I realized I couldn't see, it became more of a, man, what are we going to do? Cause I got two guys that I just put tourniquets on that are privates and, and just cause they're Rangers. I don't want anybody out there to think cause uh, people are rangers. They're like this most high speed guy. That's not necessarily the case. You know, privates are privates. They're still pulling security on corners. You know what I'm saying? So they still need some guidance. Uh, I was a staff sergeant at the time. So my most, my concern was more them than it was for me at the time. And I realized I didn't have radio. I couldn't see anything. And these guys can't walk very well. And now I can't help them very good. Yeah. So what happened was I crawled back over to where I thought they were until one of them like tapped me and was like, Holy shit. Are you okay, man? <clears throat> You know, and I was like, no, dude, I'm fucked up. Can't see. <laughs> and uh, he that? was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he was like, all right, well, what do we do now? You know, a typical yeah. private asking the NCO, what the fuck are we doing now? So um, I said, well, let's just wait. Wait till medevac comes. We waited about five minutes. And uh, I told them to let me know when they get the call because I could barely hear anything and my radio was gone. So they heard that the medevac was uh, inbound. And I told them, okay, you guys can't walk very good, but I can walk just fine. I can't see anything, but you guys can see. So what we're going to do is I, I took the uh, middle of them. They got on both sides of me like this. They walked or I, I kind of helped them walk. And then. Oh no. I hope we didn't lose them. Okay. We lost you for a second, but, uh, uh, uh where was I at then? 
<laughs> basically, I think you they were being your eyes and you were being their legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we the medevac site was about 200 meters away. Um, we walked uh, uh, all three together towards the medevac site. They guided where we were going, and I kind of helped them hobble over there. We all did it together and got there. Nice. And that was a pretty uh, big experience for me too. And, and then even really know what was going on. I told you there was about 14 IDs that were going off. And I still remember, you know, I mean, I walked seemed like forever. It seemed like it took hours. It probably was only five minutes, but it seemed like it took forever. <clears throat> but I remember hearing explosions like to our left and right and just thinking, oh shit, they must be throwing grenades or something. There must be a firefight. I don't know. And then later on I found out, you know, when guys were coming in with their, uh, you know, with their legs blown off and shit that there were, God, there was other there were other guys trying to help other guys and they were getting blown up doing it like right next to us <laughs> knowing so this is always a tricky question but I, I it's, it's interesting to hear people's responses to it uh looking back on things that have happened obviously you, you never want this devastating injury to happen to you um do you would you have would you do it all over again basically what I'm getting would you still join the army would you still go through all that or is it something that's like oh shit man i don't i, I don't know i don't even want to touch that so i hope this doesn't come out the wrong way this is how i always i get that question a lot actually um but honestly that event was one of the worst and best things that ever happened to me um at the same time kind of like having a kid you know it's like the worst thing and the best <laughs> thing that ever happened to you yeah. so it's like that kind of feeling it's like a Obviously, I'd never want that to happen or wish that on anybody. Sure. <clears throat> but the uh, what the the bond and the events that happened after that uh, incident was uh, was definitely a life altering experience in a positive way. Uh, going to Walter Reed, um, especially, it wasn't just me that went there. You know, there was uh, maybe a little. I think there was eight of us that were there all together recovering um mine wasn't as bad, bad as uh, others you know um some of them like i said before lost uh limbs um some didn't make it at all some uh one of them tom block you might have heard of him tom block was there um he had lost about half his face and they had to do a skin graft on him from his arm and he's doing great now but i mean you know he was pretty he was in pretty rough shape uh but the support that we got uh at the hospital and, and still today, I still, you know, get reach out from those guys. Um, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, not just from the army, but from the group and the brotherhood. Uh, I still talk to those guys all the time. And it was just really that, that, that mission and, and the events that happened from that mission that allowed us to see a new perspective on life and realize that, um, you know, you should never quit. I mean, yeah. you know, that I'm, I'm still living by that mantra now. That's it's it's I think that's the most common answer is, you know, despite whatever we went through, I, I wouldn't change it. And and I think I mean, that just plays into the the whole, you know, what doesn't kill us only makes us stronger thing. But it's true. I mean, you look at where you are and if you've been successful and you got to measure success, however you measure it. Right. We're having a wife, kids, stable um, family and, yeah. or, or whatever it is. If that's your, your measure of success, your benchmark of success and you got there because of your experiences, then, you know, it, it has to be a. Uh, I hate to say a good thing, but it's a, a positive. A, thing. Yeah, I, I guess you turn into a positive thing because what's the other edge you know, the side of that sword? What do you say? The other edge of that? Whatever. What's the other side of that coin is, um, you know, beat yourself up over it. Relive it. Yeah. Um, don't accept it and, and stuff. And I think a lot of people, a lot of um, 
veterans deal with that mental health wise, revisiting things, regrets, wondering what, sh what I should have done. Do you know what's, what's strange is I think most of the people I talk through this organization, through Reverend Warriors, one of the biggest mental health issues is the survivor's guilt. It's the folks that didn't get blown up, the folks that didn't get shot at, that for whatever reason, no fault of their own, right? Uh, they twisted an ankle, missed a deployment, and then their friend got killed or something. And and yeah, that's a rough one. Um, I don't have an answer for, for how to get people through that, but um, yeah, that's always a rough one. Um, gosh, I hate this. I got like 47 more questions and it's already past nine. Let me ask... Um, I'm going to ask this one here because because this one I hold close to my heart being a former officer. Uh, and I always say this on the show. I was an officer in name only. Right. I was a, a aviator. So they gave me bars just because that's what you got when you flew airplanes. They're like, here's a couple bars. Here's some wings. You're out. Right. I didn't I didn't have anyone I was in charge of. Um, I originally was going to go in as a tac P. And I wanted to do the TAC-P route enlisted. And I know a lot of guys who go Rangers or go Special Forces, uh, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, they, they would rather go that, that enlisted route. Um, so what, it sounds like you did both. Uh, how was it being an officer and what did you, in, well, you're still an officer, so I don't want to get you in any trouble. <laughs> yeah, still but, an officer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll ask, uh, do you enjoy one more than the other? Uh, yeah, I'll just go with that. Cause I, I just realized I don't want you to be like, I don't know. Being an officer sucks. And I, <laughs> my guys are a bunch of shithead. No, <laughs> no. no, man. So I, I get that question a lot too. Cause it's pretty obvious that I'm not like, uh, you know, some brand new Lieutenant out of college. I think just by looking at me with the, I can see the wrinkles on the, even the computer's picking it up pretty good. So anyway, uh, I do get that question a lot. Um, yeah, you look good. I think, I think my, I think I, the way I've experienced the army so far has been, uh, uh, what you would think would happen through the evolution of like a soldier. I, if, if that came out right. So what I mean by that is like, I started as a private and I was just the private, you know, I wasn't like I am now. I was just some private. I smoked cigarettes. I drank all the time. I got married way too early. You know, I did all those things. <clears throat> and then I decided, okay. And I thought I was going to get out like maybe as a specialist, you know, and then I eventually made Sergeant. I was one of the proudest mo moments of my life. You know what I mean? Cause now I'm a leader. Right. And so <clears throat> from that to getting stripes was already a big move. And now you, you start dipping your hands into leadership for, for me. That was. Yeah. The weather, the weather's eating up. It's about five. Dan, I think we're losing you again. Uh, yeah. God, that sucks. Um, three, three, there's a big storm going on. That's probably what it is. It does suck. <laughs> no worries. Let's, uh, two things, because I guess we got to end it. Uh, folks can find you over at Gritty Soldier Fitness, or what's your website? So the web, the web uh, we're on Facebook. Instagram, Pinterest, I mean, okay. Twitter, uh, yeah, gritysoldier.com. Okay, perfect. Um, um, I'm going to be in Fayetteville. I got to look at my calendar, but there's a place called The Rock. Do you know The Rock down there? Some yeah, gun place the, or something. Yeah. They're going to start doing, yeah. um, I guess, like monthly get-togethers and stuff. But we're going to try to broadcast live down there during one of their get-togethers. And, um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, we're down in Fayetteville all the time. There's a Fayetteville hike. Um, so maybe we can get you on a Fayetteville hike. 
uh, wear those silkies. You're, you're, you call them ranger panties, but we'll still accept it, right? As long as we can see yeah. the thighs. That's all that. That's all that matters. Yeah, let's do it. I've been working on the thighs, man. Awesome, awesome. Skies <laughs> out, thighs out. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Dan, we'll have you on again sometime. Uh, f- fantastic story. Uh, I wish I could, you know, keep this going on for another two hours, but uh, yeah, we got to do what we got to do. But uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for um, sharing your story with us, and we'll try to drive some traffic over to Gritty Soldier. I know a lot of people are always looking for uh, tips on how to. Actually, you know what? Email Dan all your nutrition questions because he... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to hear about it. He's going to tell you everything to do. <laughs> But um, no, man, thanks. Thanks for hopping on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, cool. Damn it, he got cut out again. Ah, well, what are you going to do? Damn storm. Yeah, yeah, That I mean, we're here in the rain right now. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't get to see the sun in like another week. I'm not joking. It's like rain I'm, for the yeah, next seven or eight days. It's a week and a half because you know North Carolina. It's like, <sighs> we were supposed here? to have no. snow too. We were supposed to have some snow and that disappeared. Don't say that. I mean, it's like Don't if you're going to have some bad weather, at least give us some snow. I know I would rather have it. Um, that sucks. I had some, I really wanted to talk to him about um, uh, Gritty Soldier, but you can check it out. Just, I mean, if you put Gritty Soldier in, you know what's funny? I looked up Gritty Soldier today. I put, I put Daniel Fahey, Gritty Soldier, and then like all this 21 gun stuff came up. I'm like, I've only posted like one thing for him, but it, it caught on for whatever reason. Uh, Rose Haven. Let me pull it up. Hold on a second. Cause I got to read this. I'm going to pull up my notes. Uh, if you guys remember last year I interviewed, um, oh God, uh, I can't even think it. of his name off the top of my head, but I, I had an interview with uh, Rose Haven. Now Rose Haven is a house out in, I want to say Washington, North Carolina, and it's set up for female veterans um, and, and dealing with uh, issues for female veterans. Really, really important, really, really awesome, a great organization. Um, they are going to do a thunder, thunder for Rose Haven. This is the annual motorcycle ride for Rose Haven. Uh, Rose Haven. Rose Haven. It's going to be April 3rd, 2021. Kickstands up at 11 a.m. Um, then this is for Pamlico Rose House. So I guess, uh, how I get you over there? Just put in, I guess just type in Thunder for Rose Haven. Uh, yeah, Thunder for Rose Haven or do Pamlico Rose House. Uh, you'll find the website and stuff uh, for our female veterans. Check them out. They have a lot of great services uh, to the unique um, needs of, of uh, our female sisters. What? Our sisters in uniform. Oh, there you go. You, you want to pull that up? You can. All right. And that's, I think this is all we got. I'm trying to think. I know I had one oh, more 2020. thing. Oh, yeah. Pamela 2020. Rose. Here we go, though. Pamela yeah. Rose organization. Uh, I'll post something up. But yeah, the, if you, I know there's a lot of guys out there that ride motorcycles and stuff. It's a great cause. Great house. Um, the, uh, the doctor that's in charge of the place is just super cool. Uh, if you want to learn about it, just check out the, the podcast episode. I, forget, I can't remember what it was last year. PamelaRose.org. Uh, there you go. And there he is. What's it say? It's Tom, right? Dr. Tom something? It is. Sure. All right. I, I'm sorry, Tom. I can't remember your name. Uh, I think that's, I, I don't think I have anything else to say. I remember I was going to write down something, but I, I don't know. Do you have anything else? No. Other than that, um, don't forget for all your hikes coming up, we do have Baton Rouge, March 6th, Hawaii, March 13th, Palm Springs, March 20th, and Jacksonville Beach, Florida, March 27th. Go to your River Warriors sites at click on the hike you want and register and sign up. Sign up. Yes. 
Uh, Sunday, 3 p.m., meet back here. Really, really interesting uh, conversation we're going to have. It's going to be a, a different show. It's going to not be as high energy. Uh, maybe I'll make it high energy, but I, I want to stay professional because these guys are top of their game. And if you want to learn about uh, bettering your mental health through an alternative approach, check that out. Again, it's with Mark Gordon and uh, Andrew Marr. And that, uh, I believe, is the show for... February 11th, 2021. Uh, We will see you next week. So thanks guys for checking us out. Head over to iTunes and give me a rating. Um, Only if it's five and up. (laughs) But uh, that's all guys. Thanks for checking us out. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week.